This is take two because really Tyler, take three take three because Tyler was doing dishes in the background is the loud. truth shout out to Tyler who makes us dinner every Monday night and shout out to Danny who edits all of these <laughs> <laughs> I always give Morgan a hard time for her mouth sounds and her breathing because I'm I like do bro I gotta edit those out and, and if breathe. you have you know and if you're like a more talented audio tech person than I am and know how podcast settings should be let me know oh yeah because I've done some research and like I you know I got some training but is there a way not to have breath sound? I don't know. Anyways, today is the long-awaited, long-requested, death and dying. <laughs> Morgan, mm-hmm. why are we doing this? Like, what is the, what is this uh, type? Uh, what are we calling them? Like um, segments or seg- like jokes of podcasts? Yeah. What is, what is this gonna be all about? Oh yeah. So. Death and dying is a very realistic part of my job in the hospital, and I have found that I want to help music therapists and others normalize talking about death. It's hard. It can become normal, but it doesn't seem normal, and it can be really daunting and scary, especially when you're new in the field, especially when you are still a student. And so we want to normalize it, we want to talk about it, and we want to empower you to feel as safe as you can in these kind of death and dying experiences that we're going to talk about here in a minute. Yeah, and it looks different in music therapy than it does anywhere else. Truly. Um, Which is tough whenever you are the only music therapist or you're an intern. or And we're also doing this because um, something that Amanda pointed out in our interview with her mm-hmm. is there's not a ton of like death and dying experiences, right? right? Like as a student, as, as an intern. And since releasing that podcast, we've gotten quite a bit of feedback that says, no, actually there are hospice practicum and internships. Like there are those experiences. Right. Um, but maybe they're not as common as working with kids with special needs mm-hmm. or working in the hospital setting. Yeah. Or maybe they seem a little bit more scary or daunting just because you're not as familiar with them. And so you avoid them. You think I could never do that when that's OK if that's your choice. But that might not be true. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, And, you know, maybe you don't know what death and dying even looks like in music therapy. Because right. whenever you hear music therapy, maybe you think entertainment <laughs> and you don't think <laughs> these little teddy bears are with dead kids heartbeats. So. Yeah. Um, we're going to talk a lot about what it looks like, like what it legit looks like in the hospital. Yeah. And we're going to talk about what it looks like to cope with death and dying as a music therapist because it gets a little tricky. It we're- does. The longer you're in it, the first one, the last one, the in-between one, the ones that hit or the ones that don't, it's hard. And it's it's a complex thing to go through and there are things that we're prepared for and things that you can't be until you do it. And so Absolutely. that's a lot of the reality of this conversation. And I think what you and I have talked a lot about um, in your experiences, because you've been doing it for quite a bit of time now, mm-hmm. and, you know, all things considered, is um, you think you know how to deal with it, and then a kid hits different. Right. And that can go one way or the other. Like, oh, it doesn't really affect you, or it, like, really affects you, and it doesn't make a whole lot of sense why. Right. There's no rhyme or reason to grief. Um Personally, I've only had limited experience with grief in my own family. Mm-hmm. So I'm the kind of person that's having to deal with um, it in a professional sense without a ton of, luckily, like, thank mm-hmm. God I don't have a ton of personal grief yeah. experience. Yeah. I come from it from a different view. I've had a lot of people die for a variety of reasons in my life. And luckily, nobody who's been too, too close. But when I was younger, some. Mm-hmm. And so I think I've come through to it 
just through a different perspective that I didn't even really know I had until I was in an ICU constantly helping these families that were losing their child. Yeah. So let's talk about what it looks like. Okay. So working in a pediatric children's hospital, this is the context that I have for death. So that is pediatric death. Um, outside of like my personal experiences of death, that's my professional experience. And it looks like a variety of things. It can look like a kid that comes in through our emergency department and was in a car accident or was in a drowning and came in and they are not okay and they're not going to be okay. And we have to be present. We get to be present to support family. We meet family. We let them know that we're present and we're here to listen and support them as we can. We let them know what we do. And as the time progresses, we introduce what we offer to memorialize their child. So for those of you that are familiar with end of life, you've probably heard of heartbeat recordings. You've hopefully heard of heartbeat bears, which is where you put a heartbeat recording in a mechanism, much like a -a Build-A-Bear, and put the heartbeat into a bear. You might have heard of heart songs or heartbeat songs. We call them heart songs at our hospital. And it's basically when you put a song and a heartbeat together, the heartbeat becomes the bass beat and the song becomes the forefront to memorialize a child. It can be pre-composed. It can be um, something that the kiddo wrote or their siblings wrote or their parents wrote or whoever wrote. Or it can be a song that reminds family of them or that the child themselves loves and has picked. But that is a legacy piece that can be a short or a long process in the hospital. After we provide memory work to kids, we can even provide end-of-life support when we are weaning support. It can be called a terminal wean or it can be called um, just like compassionate weaning of sedation and weaning of support to allow the person to die. And so I have provided live music at the bedside for those experiences when appropriate with family. When we've had those conversations, when I've built that relationship with them, and I'm a fly on the wall. They don't really notice that I'm there, but when they feel safe to have someone else witness such a personal experience for them. Yeah. Um, I'm going to take this opportunity to talk about what the heartbeat recording actually looks like. Yeah, go for it. So um, I've seen it done a couple of ways. There's a few ways to do it, but at the hospital Morgan and I work at, we have these special stethoscopes. Um, at my internship, they actually put like um, a lapel mic, lapel mic into yeah, the stethoscope. Into the stethoscope. Yeah. So we actually have like these electronic stethoscopes. And um, what we do is like Morgan said, you would introduce it, whatever, go in and literally with um, the stethoscope hooked up to a device, we use iPads, uh, we hit record, we put the stethoscope on the chest just like a nurse or a doctor would, um, and we get a recording of the heartbeat. Mm-hmm. You make some different changes to like the settings to get different highs and lows. To eliminate the environmental sounds of beeps or breathing. Yep. Um, And we literally take that recording. So then what we do, it's not just like, okay, we have it. Here you go. It has to have editing because sometimes you do hear the beeps, you hear the breathing. So sometimes it's like a whole eight bars of beats. Sometimes it's a da-da and you'll edit it and loop it. and that is, you know, you take out the, the highs and the lows, whatever, to make sure you can, the, the heartbeat is the prominent sound that you are hearing. You then put it on a device that goes into the bear. If you're making a song, we do it in GarageBand. Hopefully we'll do it in Logic soon. Um, and we put, we, we layer the heartbeat with the song. The like hardest ones are when the meter in the song changes. Like if you're trying to do it to a pre-recorded song, and the meter of the song changes, and you have to adjust the heartbeat to second match. Second by second. It's horrible. It's so hard. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so that's what that looks like. And then you actually deliver the bears 
to the families you deliver that song on a usb or a cd or an email depending on what your facility does yep, yeah to the family so that's what that tangibly literally looks like yeah and that's what we tangibly give and with that typically in my practice I give verbal support I give reinforcement of emotions and validation of their experiences and just try to listen and hear and at my time at the hospital hear if there's something that they need or want if that can be adapted to be met especially in those end-of-life experiences because a lot of times in an intensive care unit at least at our facility we aren't getting the kids that have been in hospice care we're getting the kids that die suddenly and so as much control that we can give back to that family to make it the death that they would want the is what we'll do so I often become a liaison between that for families um, especially if they connect with music and they've let me play live music at the bedside in this process we build that relationship and I become an advocate for them with the medical team Mm. and in our hospital those advocates look like music therapy child life and chaplaincy Mm -hmm. sometimes social work It's often the three of us at our hospital, but in other facilities, I think social work has a more prominent role. Yeah. So music therapy has a really powerful role in those end-of-life instances. Um, Sometimes there's a lot of teams that have great psychosocial support. Um, For our hospital, it's really those three main Mm -hmm. players that really help in those end-of-life cases. Yeah. Something that I've experienced, like one of the bigger um, end-of-lives that I've done in this job is um, I had an older girl who was had cancer and was was actively dying, and she actually recorded her own heartbeat. That's lovely. And then got to tell me what song she wanted to do. Mm-hmm. Doesn't always look like that, especially in the ICUs if they're coming already yeah. down. Yeah. I think the beautiful place where this lives in Death and Dying, and I think this will be more talked about in future episodes, is where legacy lives. And so legacy can live in these little moments where we record, but legacy also lives when the patient has more control. And if they have a terminal prognosis or they have what is going to end up being a poor outcome and they know it, that we can provide them those opportunities to create songs, to record their own heartbeats, to do songwriting that can be really impactful for both their coping and their acceptance of the end of life and their families yeah um morgan i want to talk about why does a heartbeat hit different yeah than some of the other legacy work that may be done in a hospital yeah i mean in my experience working with families providing the heartbeat truly is that representation of life itself and so I don't know how cognizant people are of what a heartbeat means to them or if that they've ever truly voiced it to me, but I'm typically in the room when different specialties provide things to families like resources or hand molds or handprints, and when they get the heartbeat bear in their hands and they hear it for the first time or after I've recorded it and I sit with them and I let them listen, they just fully experience their feelings in a really beautiful way, and I've caught that up to truly being that it is that representation of life to them um that they experience a moment of their child still being alive in a way and just like something that won't stop um because once it's gone it's gone and -hmm. that's a really hard part about coping that we'll talk about in a little bit but while it's there it's there Mm -hmm. and even though it will leave it's something they can hold on to that truly says their heart was beating they were real Mm. And that can be really impactful in the grief process. It's hard too, because like you said, once it's gone, it's gone. And Morgan has told me about instances in which she couldn't get the heartbeat. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, for child life, if you don't know, they do legacy work um, through hand, hand prints and thumbprints and hand molds and, and 
a variety of different items. Right. And in some instances, if you do not know, they will go to the morgue or they will do these things post um, mortem. Post mortem. Mm-hmm. So the thing about music therapy is that can't happen. Right. A huge part of heartbeats and what I learned during internship and what I've seen now, oh my gosh, a heartbeat can take a minute to do, mm-hmm. but it can take all day to get because you are looking for the perfect time in which they're not providers in the room or um, or you have to work with family or you want to incorporate family or you're waiting for consent so you're waiting for someone to come back or you get the heartbeat and they're on a different type of respiratory support that really makes it hard to isolate the heartbeat sounds and so you have to sit and go second by second and listen with the deepest listening that you have to find it and isolate it. And the other thing that I was alluding to as far as it hitting different is being the music therapist who edits the heartbeat and having to listen to it over and over again. And if, you know, that that person has passed away or, you know, they're going to having to sit with that can be really tough Mm -hmm. to listen to it over and over again. Mm -hmm. That's one of the big things that I've had to learn how to cope with. Yeah. 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 So speaking of coping. Yeah. Talk about your journey. Because so if you don't know. Morgan works in the ICU. She has been the primary music therapist at her hospital for a very long time. So she's done a ton of bereavements. Only two years, but there have been a lot of deaths in two yeah. years. <laughs> yeah. Um, whereas my experience is in my internship where I did a few and then um, in my work now. And I've only done really a few like start to finish. Um, in Hemonk, I've, I've helped a lot with like other bereavements yeah. though. Yeah. I would say one thing that immediately comes to mind is how many people hear about my work and and I talk about, you know, what I do as a music therapist in an intensive care unit, but often I end the conversation with telling them just a piece of what I do with end of life. And they always love to say, how could you do that? I could never do that. How could you do that? And it's so funny because you don't really think about it. Like I became more active in my coping the longer I did it. But in the beginning, you just do it. Mm. And then you just figure it out how you're going to cope. Tell the story about your first heartbeat at this job. Um, It was my second week, I think. I'm not 100 on that. It was very early. It was either the first or second week. And I had never worked the heartbeat equipment at this job. And there was a kiddo who'd been a long-term kid who was up on our acute unit. And um, Child Life got a call that they wanted to get a heartbeat recording and all this stuff. And Child Life doesn't record heartbeats at our hospital and they came to me and they're like hey um question can you please go record this kid's heartbeat and I was like oh um yeah well this kid was actively dying um which is fairly irregular on our acute floors typically it happens within the ICU or in different settings but typically not just on our acute medical floors and so long-term patient I go in I meet grandparents they're lovely this kiddo is very presently dying and I get his heartbeat and I had never seen the equipment never used the equipment before but you know it all worked out plugged it up put it down and got a heartbeat and it was it was wild though it happened very quickly and pretty much that day when I said yes to that first one they never stopped coming yeah so I covered the entire hospital for a while and so my job in the ICU didn't get to look like helping with sedation weans or helping with like on just like a patient's weaning sedation from having being intubated or having an injury or that kind of thing not just like to die um it looked like only this is confusing how I've said this but it's okay it now looks like I get to help other health parameters but before it looked only like I was in the ICU when kids were dying and so that was my relationship with those nurses which is lovely but not really actually <laughs> they're sweet people that's more my point than the other but 
that was my relationship with the ICU and slowly over time I I developed what it looks like now in our intensive care unit but one thing that I've always had to do and remember is that my feelings are valid in whatever way they come and however they are so with the people that are around me in the medical system that's not necessarily the culture that's modeled it's not a culture of feel it and it's not a culture of do absolutely nothing about it but it's just like this middle ground of an elephant in the room that nobody talks about and I don't personally subscribe to that (laughs) and I will speak very truthfully about that to my people Um, I think it's very valuable that when you see something hard and you have feelings because of it you let yourself feel those feelings in an appropriate environment so for me coping has looked like crying in my office coping has looked like taking deep breaths in a closet before and after coping has looked like a pre-ritual before I go into a death and then a post-ritual after so by a ritual I don't mean like anything wild I literally (laughs) just mean I um all I can picture is that episode uh or that that movie (laughs) with Sandra Bullock Mm -hmm. um lol do you know what I'm talking about uh, oh my gosh around the the fire uh, yeah 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 yeah. oh gosh um Yes, it's not that. I basically just like take three deep breaths and speak like protection over myself and just like basically speak my purpose over myself in those moments so that I don't forget that it's not about me but that I'm here for these people and that my feelings are valid. And then after I have um, a book where I will write a sweet memory with that patient. I don't use any patient identifying information. I just write like a memory with that patient if it's a patient I've worked with for a long time. If it's a child that comes in and dies suddenly, I don't necessarily do that because I just don't have those connections typically. But every now and again, one will come through and I'll connect with their parents in a way that I'm like, they go in the book and you write down something about them in the book afterwards. And so coping has been an adventure for me. But if there's one thing I've learned, it's that I believe that if you have the will and you want to be there in that moment, I believe that you can do it. But I believe that you have to allow yourself to feel your feelings and to process them to be able to go back in the room again. It's hard. It is. But it is the most honorable thing that I have ever done as a person, much less a music therapist. And I am so appreciative and grateful for the opportunity to support these families in some of the worst moments of their lives. And that is part of my passion as a music therapist is to be able to witness, bear witness to hard and terrible things and help them through it. Yeah. Yeah. And I want to go back to what you said about um, choosing a feeling. Uh, like you said, like um, yeah. a lot of our culture in the hospital is just kind of see it, you move on, and like in the medical system in general, really. For sure. Um, and that's something I've really struggled with because I'm like, oh my gosh, to do this job, I have to not feel anything. Something that I like truly believe is, and like what I try to practice, not only in death and dying, but as a healthcare provider working in a hospital, working in traumatic situations all the time, is I do my best to not become numb. Oof. And I don't mean in a way of like, I can't cope with the situations or like some things aren't minimized because like they kind of have to be, but I never want to lose sight of what our families are going through because whenever you see it day after day, mm-hmm. whenever you see a kid or you see multiple kids getting chemo day after day after day, you see multiple kids getting IVs or even like the the simplest things to like medical professionals all the way to like death and dying is 
it's so easy to just be like, oh, this is just every day. But for those families, it is not. No. This is not what it's supposed to be. That's part of the reason why we have our jobs mm-hmm. is to normalize this because it is such an unnormal thing. Yeah. I had a friend recently. I was doing a, an advocacy presentation with my chaplain and my child life specialist actually um, to talk about what we all do and what that looks like. And I can't remember the exact word that he used. And I think I've told you this quote. So if you can remember, let me know. But basically he talked about how death in general is like disrupts what you expect. And so you struggle in a way because it's just wrong. Like it's just not supposed to be happening that way. And so there's a place in that, that our families have to hold, but we also have to hold. And I think that a child dying unnatural unnatural that's it yes 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 um that like a child dying in such a way is is just unnatural it's wrong and it's it it's okay that it is unnatural and wrong it's just uncomfortable to live inside of absolutely and so the the happy medium we have to find is like at least for me and my philosophy is I never want to lose sight of what I'm doing I never want to lose sight of like this is so hard mm-hmm. for these kids. And, you know, so it's really easy to be like, oh, my day was so hard because of this. My day is so hard of this. And I, I don't want to invalidate myself, but like really trying to zoom out and see the full picture. Um, and part of my philosophy on death and dying is not letting death lose its sting because yeah. it does. And it sucks. It does. And to be fair to you, whoever's listening, if you've been in this and you've been doing it and it's lost its sting for a little bit, that's okay. And that's just how I personally cope. Well, yeah, but I just want to like voice that because I'll tell you, I went through a season where there were so many that all I could do was put my head down and say, I'm going to be here for these families, but I can't be fully emotionally present in this. And then there was a period where I said, this is not the music therapist I want to be. And I had to take a break and not completely from my job, but just within my job. I had to set more boundaries with myself to say, I have to leave myself more time to handle this. And then I was able to step back in in the place I wanted to be that it stung, but I had kind of figured out how to rationalize it in a way that I could come back to job, to my work, to Absolutely. my job again. Yeah. And all of this, like Morgan was saying, those really realistic things of coping. It's the few breaths in the closet. It's going back and crying. It's talking to your coworkers. It's whatever that looks like for you. It's also doing like keeping going if that's what you need, but accepting that it might hit you in 48 hours instead of the same day. One of the weirdest experiences for me is when I have a child die specifically that I've worked with and I get mad, Mm. but I don't get mad that day and I don't get mad the day after. I get mad 48 hours after and I have no idea why. I'm really Mm. curious if anyone knows you want to share, but I get mad 48 hours after and I have to go on like a run. I need to like physically express myself because I just – it's so unnatural and it makes me so upset, but not in a way that's unhealthy. It's a very healthy response. It's not impeding my life. It's not keeping me from doing my job, but I just get really angry. Yeah. Something that – this is all something that I've I really struggled with, and it's honestly something I left medical music therapy because of um, for a very, very brief time. Let's not forget I've only been doing this a year. Um, (laughs) (laughs) But like in internship, I decided, okay, this is too hard. I can't do this. So then I went the practice route and like now I'm here and realizing, okay, it's just I need better coping, better support system, right? Right. Um, But during internship, I became very passionate about that coping piece and Mm -hmm. how how do interns with like zero experience – and like, I hope, I hope as an intern, you have zero, zero experience with grief, because if you've had it in your personal life, I'm very sorry. It's, it's just really icky and hard. But in my experience, I had zero grief experience. Um, 
and then I went into an internship and I think my first week I witnessed um, and observed a heartbeat. And even my supervisors were like, this is really early to do this, Danielle. But here it is. You can't control when these happen, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so in my journey of like figuring out how to cope, this may not surprise you, but I'm like a little extra. And so I self-inflicted like this project. I'd already done all the projects for my internship, but I said, I'm going to do another project for fun. And what it was, it was the intern's guide to grief. And it was like a 30-page handbook of how to cope with grief with all of these different like therapeutic activities from like journaling to songwriting to um there's like a qr code to a song i wrote that's like my um you said your dead baby song in a previous episode that was my dead baby song um and like there's like a literal qr code in the in the handout for you to like listen to and write your own there's coloring activities mandalas i mean it's just all kinds of things because i um was really like having a hard time rationalizing how to cope with these deaths experiences yeah so um that's actually going to be up on the website for you guys if you are interested it will be under the wheel um but it is that intern's guide to grief so if you've never had to deal with it before start here with this episode reach out to us and then maybe go over there I think one of the most important things to think about as we're talking about this is in saying that we want to normalize it in a way I don't want this to be overtly scary And I know that's hard because death is unnatural and uncomfortable and it can be scary, but I'm going to tell you guys, and this is hard to hold, it can also be really beautiful. Yeah. It's, it's a special experience for families when they can have control, when they can have their peace in a way with a person, even if it's happening so quickly and they, they can't, sometimes they can. And Music therapy is so impactful, not just because of a heartbeat recording that recognizes life, not just because of a heartbeat song, but in that moment of withdrawal where you are able to be there and play music, I will tell you there are very limited things I can ever think of that have been so meaningful in my life than being present and supporting a mom standing right behind her when she was the only person holding her baby while they died. And it was hard and it was terrible and it was beautiful. You saw her love I was able to bring her some peace in that moment in that it is weird because when you've been in the hospital and your kid's been on support, there are beeps, there are always people in and out, everything's always moving, there's always sound, and the moment that someone dies, everything goes quiet. And the last thing that I want for that person, or if I can help it, if I can be there, is I want them to be able to experience a peace of release and not that deafening silence. And so... It is hard. (laughs) I'm not going to say it's not. It is scary in ways, but you cope, you adapt, and you figure it out. And truly, if you feel led in any way to explore it, I encourage you to because there's nothing like it, in my opinion, and people are extremely, extremely appreciative. I've yet to had a family that said, I wish I wouldn't have had music therapy here. I only ever hear from staff and families that they are so, so appreciative to have had safety and a container to feel their feelings in absolutely yeah and just because these are our experiences I think we all know grief is experienced in so many different ways that we don't even know and like we can't even touch on Morgan and I these are just our experiences and we really want to share them because um like I've been given narratives of well you can't do this work if you can't cope with it like that Mm -hmm. and so we want to put it out there that like we are doing the work and we are coping like this yes And it may not look like maybe what like the music therapy Facebook page says. Yeah. Or what your supervisor said at some Ah, point. Yeah. 
I during my internship I had six supervisors Mm -hmm. which meant I saw six very different ways of doing music therapy six very different like thought processes of like how death and dying should work and Mm -hmm. that was like really difficult as an intern to figure out what my path was but Mm -hmm. Morgan says a lot find what fits you and wear it don't Mm -hmm. Don't just, you know, try it on, you know, try it on and find what fits you. Don't think because my supervisor does it this way. That means I have to do it that way or I can't do it at all. Because Mm -hmm. honestly, that's what I ended my internship thinking. Yeah, that's what happened. And it happens a lot. It'll happen to all of us. But I dare you to be a little bold if you want. And I dare you to care for yourself, please. (laughs) I think that this is important work and work that we have a whole section to talk about it on and it will not end if you have questions you should ask if you are curious you should ask and if you need help you definitely need to ask and I don't know if that's us or people around you but you're not alone wherever you are and I know that's such a cheesy thing to say but especially in this if it feels like you are it's okay to take a break it's okay to take a step back and it's okay to honor where you are because that's a really meaningful moment that you're in and that's how you're going to grow into your next season you're in the Mm. growing pains though Mm. um something I learned from the wonderful Karen Norris I'll talk about her all the time because I'm obsessed with her shout out Karen (laughs) um is she would always talk about rituals she's been doing music therapy a long time she's been working in Hemonk and ICs a long time so she's seen a lot um and something that she says that she does is she goes to thrift stores and she wants to touch things like she has to ground herself by physically touching things so after a hard day at work before she goes home she'll go to a thrift store and go and touch everything now for me that's gross af but lol that is how karen does it for me um I don't know. It's looked, it's looked like a lot of different things. I'm like a social butterfly, so I need to talk to people about it. So I talk to Morgan about it. I talk to our coworker Caroline about it, or I'll talk to my husband about it. Mm-hmm. Um, journaling, I said, I've said it before, I hate it, but it's good yeah. for me. So it's, it's creating rituals that work for you. And like, it could be touching things in the thrift store. It could be journaling. I think it just depends. Yeah. I'll tell you in my season where I had a lot of death, I wrote so much sad music mm. and it was such a valuable and validating time. And when I get in another spout where there are a lot of kids that die at once, that I go back to that song and I'm just like, yep, that's the way this feels. And the coolest part is now, after being through that and managing coping through it or learning how to cope through it, because I didn't do great in the beginning, I can hear that song and feel my feelings and then step out of that place. Mm. And I can tell you as a young, young music therapist in my first three to four months of like 15 plus deaths, I didn't know if I was going to be able to step out of a sad, dark place. And I was okay living there because I knew I was doing important things, but I am so grateful that I have the resilience through the time and through learning what works for me to be able to step in and out of it. But it took time for me. Absolutely. Um, Caroline's words are ringing in my ear right now. She's our coworker. Yeah, what she And say? today she was like, look, one day I'm going to come on your podcast and I'm going to say, you do not have to create a podcast to be a good music therapist. <laughs> and so, and she's like, you can go home and lay on your couch after work. And that makes you a successful music therapist. Accurate. And so something I want to say to all of this is if coping to you looks like going home and crashing, going home, playing games, going home, watching TV, like 
just figure out what works for you. Mm-hmm. Morgan and I are very expressive people. Yes. So we have to express it in one shape or like, and we'll, you know, one way or another, one way or another. Out. So, and until we can move forward. But if that's you, that's incredible. I just heard Caroline being like, you can also just go home and lay on the couch after a bereavement, Danielle. That's what I could <laughs> hear in my head. It's true. It's true. What will, um, what do you think this could ebb and flow into? I have a lot of ideas. Like, I think we want to get a hospice music therapist on here mm-hmm. because they live in it, in this. Mm-hmm. Um, I think something that could even play into this, that's not necessarily death and dying, but grief is what I've experienced in um, behavioral health and seeing really hard things and how do we grieve um, different things in different ways. Yeah. Even just experiences and seasons and people, even if they're not dying, but they're changing or transitioning. Yeah. So I think this, I think this um, section can look like a lot of things. Yeah, I do too. I think my hope is that we can walk into things like anticipatory grief or disenfranchised grief, all of these things that we experience as healthcare providers. My hope is we can walk into what death and dying looks like in a variety of populations with the elderly, with pediatrics, with specifically cancer, with whatever it needs to look like for us to talk about. Um, but yeah, grief and then the expression of death, even further than that, I would love to talk more about different interventions or things we do to support death and dying with it, whether it is music therapy or if it is hearing from a chaplain and chaplaincy and how they help people connect with the sense of meaning and purpose, or if it is a child life specialist on how we support siblings and understanding that their, their sibling is passing or how we empower families to have really hard conversations with their kids. We have all of these incredible specialties at our disposal too. So I'm hoping we can feature different people as we go. Yeah. And if you're listening, let us know what you need and want to hear. I hope this is helpful. If, um, you're like Amanda and haven't had any experience in this, mm-hmm. um, niche of music therapy. Yeah. Uh, we hope you feel free to reach out, ask questions. Um, and even if we can't answer them, we will definitely point you towards people who can. Yes. <laughs> and one thing just to mention, it's a little bit of a shameless plug of me. So I've, I'm getting in the habit of doing that this week. I am speaking with our coworker at the Music Spot conference on November 6th on this. We're going to talk about pediatric bereavement and interdisciplinary collaboration. The Music Spot presentation, it's like a conference, um, is a virtual conference. So if you have any interest in hearing specifically about interdisciplinary collaboration sooner rather than later, my coworker and I will be discussing that as well. So just put it on your radar. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. All right, guys. Till next time. Bye-bye-bye.